Hi, everyone. Welcome to That's So Hindu, the podcast brought to you by the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. In this episode, I'm speaking with documentary film director Nico Oskoff about his latest project on the life and legacy of Swami Vivekananda, titled 1893, The Year of the Yogi, which is expected to be completed in the first part of 2024. Full disclosure, HAF is one of several major financial backers of this film. So with that in mind, let's get into it. So, Nico, thanks so much for joining us today. Tell us about 1893, Year of the Yogi. Why this film and why now? Hi, Matt. Thank you um, for having me. It's always really a great pleasure for me to talk about this. Um, 1893, The Year of the Yogi is, let's see, to answer your question. So this film is the life and legacy of Swami Vivekananda, which I'll get into a little bit more as we go, as we have our conversation. But you asked why now? A couple of reasons why now. The first one is it dawned on me at some point while I was thinking about this film that people don't really know the legacy of how yoga and meditation and all things Indian spirituality came to the West. If you ask people, many don't have any idea at all. And many people think it was Yogananda, um, Paramahamsa Yogananda, who we know and revere. But in fact, it was um, Swami Vivekananda was the first one to come from India and really make a big splash. There were a few other Indian Hindus who had come before, but nobody brought together the, um, as I like to think of it, really opened the cross-cultural conversation between the East and the West in, in spiritual terms as powerfully as Swami Vivekananda did. And he left behind such a tremendous legacy, which really like splays off into all sorts of different areas in modern Western culture and, and demographics and, and arts and sociology and so forth in the 20th century. So I just thought it was a really important story to tell and a fun story to tell. And secondly, um, you know, and, and this only kind of recently dawned on me, my, my, my producer, Chris brought it up and I think it's really great and true that in some ways this film is a response to the mental health crisis that we are experiencing in America at the moment. It's no secret that things aren't working at some very fundamental level in society and people are suffering. And of course, you know, in some ways there's nothing new under the sun. There's always been suffering, but to see, especially the younger generations struggling even more so, you know, I'm 46 now, but, and, and when I grew up, it wasn't as complicated as it is now, as far as social media and all these other things that have come into the landscape. So to, to, to offer this story and some of the profound teachings that Swami Vivekananda and the Indian tradition have, um, I think it can, it can shed some neat light upon other ways of looking at life for people. I hadn't considered the mental health part of that. I wasn't expecting this to come up. So before we get into some of the other legacy items, what what do you think Vivekananda's teachings, either directly or from the the broader world that he was coming from, what can that do you think offer people today? Particularly, as you said, a younger generation who have are coming up in a world that you and I were similar in age didn't have to deal with. Yeah. Well, you know, Swami Vivekananda, it's, it's wonderful because he really spoke to the youth. He, in fact, in India now, January 12th, which is his birthday, has become National Youth Day. So he really spoke to and believed in the, the, the young generations, the power of youth and strength. And he appealed to that, to that vigor 
in people. And, you know, what Swami Vivekananda, it's you, you can barely, one can barely read a paragraph of his without feeling some sort of inspiration. It's really quite remarkable. Um, but what can he offer? I think that he offers a few, several things. The ones that come to mind are he reframes religion in a way to make it very practical. Um, what he, what he teaches is, you know, and, and, and again, he didn't come up necessarily with new things. He reframed things for a modern generation, which is important, but that, that which we are seeking is already within us. So he used to say that religion is the manifestation of the divinity already within you. So it's not a typical Western paradigm or way of looking at things, at least in the past, that God and is within you or consciousness for a better word, you know, to, to become conscious of oneself is really the goal of religion, not to believe in something and have this word faith is a loaded word. And it's important in every tradition, including the Hindu tradition, but not to believe in things blindly, but to test them for yourself, to go down deep into the heart of your own being to find the answers. And, you know, so those are some things that come to mind. He also used to say this beautiful, him and, and his teacher, they talk about how the only real sin is to call yourself a sinner. And he used to say to people, oh, ye children of immortal bliss, uh, you know, and really inspire and ask people to, 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 slow down, slow the mind down and see that within them, their own selves is a really latent, but, 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 but latent, but potential, uh, powerful manifestation of the divine living inside you, that you are it. And of course, language becomes very limiting when we talk about a lot of these esoteric concepts, but to, to, to impart upon someone that everything they need is already within them and you don't need to believe in anything that you don't, that doesn't make sense to you. And, you know, things of this nature, I think, uh, can really appeal to a modern generation. Let's get back to some of the timing of this. I'm, we're recording this this end of June. We'll, it'll actually come out in several weeks, right before the Parliament of the World's Religions in Chicago. Can you, for those that listeners that don't know, can you go into Swami Vivekananda's legacy and participation in the first of those, yeah. you know, over a century ago? Yes. So, in fact, the film is called 1893 because that year is such an important year. It's the year that Swami Vivekananda arrived in America from India, and he came here uh, for the for the reason that there was this parliament of world religions, which was the first of it of its kind. And it was an effort to bring together different faiths, um, all so to speak under one roof. And, you know, there are a lot of things that, um, about that parliament that, um, are tricky and complicated, um, to discuss. But the important thing to know is that Swami Vivekananda came here in 1893 and he delivered a series of lectures at the parliament and he, in my estimation, that's one of the one of the real profound moments where the West and the East came together. And he opened this portal, as I like to think of it, of a cross-cultural communication between the East and the West. And so 1893 is um is an important year for that reason. And he stayed, he stayed in America. He went back to India. Um uh he went back to India a few times, but he came here twice. 
1893 and when he died in 1902. And he became very, very popular um, in, in lots of circles. So he ended up having a relationship with uh, Nikola Tesla and discussing physics and the relationship between ancient, the ancient Vedic understanding of physics and modern physics. Tesla was a big fan of his. Rockefeller, J.D. Rockefeller and Vivekananda had some interesting relations, which resulted in the first philanthropic organization in America established by J.D. Rockefeller. Vivekananda was invited to speak all across the country at different universities, including Harvard, where he was offered the chair in, I think it was Eastern philosophy, which he did not accept because he was busy and just didn't fit into his plans. He established the Vedanta societies in America and he had a, a, a really profound impact on people of all walks of life um, and including a lot of women. So at the time, if you can imagine 1893 in America, you know, I mean, only only a few decades since since slavery was outlawed and the Civil War ended. And obviously the rights of women were were not um, had not advanced very far yet. And he had a lot of uh, female devotees and he always believed in the power of of the feminine principle and women. Um, so he did a lot. He laid, he planted, as I like to think of, he planted a lot of seeds that were then watered over the following decades by other um, brother swamis of his who came to America. And then in 1920, Yogananda came to America. They were both from Calcutta and had a lot of similarities in a lot of ways. And on and on down the decades as other gurus and Indians started to come to America. But as I like to think of it, Swami Vivekananda, it, he... Anybody who came after him from the Indian tradition, in some ways, they really came through him um, because he, he, in a lot of ways, came here as a condensed version of India itself. And so of the, of the Indian spiritual tradition, let's say. And so anybody who came after him kind of came through him. And, and there is a, um, there's a direct link there. So it's the, I mean, this, it, it's such a fascinating topic and he, his legacy has seeped into our culture so deeply that it's some things are recognizable and direct and others are indirect, but, and this is kind of the point of, of the film to draw these connections between many of the things that we modern Americans, the way that we live our lives and the things that we do and 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 say and think and beliefs that we hold and how those can be traced back to indian spirituality um and the root of that indian spirituality in america in fact was swami vivekananda's um uh, address well the first and then the other ones that came after that in 1893 at the chicago parliament of world religions and in fact they those happen every four years i believe it is and this year um it's going to be in Chicago again. So that's very exciting. And I'm going to attend and do some filming. And um, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a wonderful project. And he is, yeah, I mean, he's just so deeply inspiring and, and, and power. There's so much Shakti in his words, you know, Shakti meaning just power and, and, and manifestation of, um, of ideas and of, of um, so on and so forth. I realize we've jumped straight into the man himself and his legacy, which is where I wanted to go. And I have one question on that before we let's not forget to actually tell people how this film is going to appear on screen, whether that screens their laptop or in a theater. 
Um, I definitely want to come to that because I know you're doing some interesting things. This isn't going to be, you know, people may be picturing a Ken Burns thing with lots of animated photos, but it's more than that. Um, but one thing that occurred to me, where can people view the physical le- legacy of Swami Vivekananda in the U.S. today in terms of like places where he went? Are there any things that people can go and visit if they want to sort of tap in to where he was? It's, it's like almost like a little mini pilgrimage, you know, and going to spiritual places is such an important part of the Hindu tradition and a tradition that he would know well. So where, where can people go today if there are any still around? Sure. Well, he so he landed in he arrived originally in Vancouver and then he took a train to Chicago, spent some time in Chicago, and then he went to Boston uh, and then back to Chicago. And then over the next several years, he really he really covered the whole um, American territory from from New York to, you know, to California. So the first the, the most basic place to start if somebody wants to learn more about Swami Vivekananda or that tradition uh, which is a great thing to do. Um, the Vedanta societies in America are the, they carry his legacy. You know, the, they, it's run by the uh, Swamis in the Ramakrishna tradition, which in America is known as the Vedanta societies. And those, so he established the first Vedanta society in New York in 1894, which is still running today. And today it's run by um, Swami Sarvapriyananda, who's incredibly incredibly erudite and well-spoken on one of the most well-spoken in the world when it comes to these topics, which are not always easy to put into words, but he does it beautifully. So you could, you know, you could go to YouTube. I know a lot of people who have come to this tradition because of his YouTube talks. So that's certainly something you could do, but visiting the Vedanta society in New York, visiting the Vedanta society of Southern California in Hollywood also has a really rich tradition in the 1930s and 40s. Swami Prabhavananda was running that um, that uh, that Vedanta society, and many uh, authors and actors and actresses and the quote intelligentsia of of the 30s and 40s were were spending time there. So this is also one of the interesting things about about his legacy is that many artists and authors and thinkers and art and people of this nature found these teachings and found these, these, the, this Hindu Indian spirituality and it, they took a liking to it. And it's very difficult if you, if you have an attack, if you, if you're turned on, so to speak, by this material, once you get a taste for it, you will want more and it will inevitably seep deeper and deeper into your consciousness and into your life and it will have an influence on you and it did for many of these artists and thinkers and writers and so forth so a lot of the um, pop culture back you know pop culture today but but modern for for the time works were influenced by these teachings so you can see within the work itself within a lot of the books that we know and love and and have been reading for you know decades those books the characters and the stories are influenced by, by Vedanta and by Indian spirituality. So it's, that's one of the ways in which these teachings have had an, an indirect influence on, on, um, on our culture. But yeah, I think the best place to start is to go to, and they're all over the country. There's upwards of 20 of them. They're in California. There's big ones in Chicago and St. Louis and Boston or New York, some in Florida, some in Texas, Washington. So I think wherever you are, 
Um, if you go to, if you Google or whatever search engine is your preference, um, Vedanta societies, um, in your state, I, I, I'm sure you'll find something close by. So what, what can people expect to see on screen? How are you presenting the life story here? What, what's the format? Yep. So again, this is a film about the life and legacy of Swami Vivekananda. So since Vivekananda died in 1902, and we didn't have any moving images um, up until that point, we do have some photographs of him, which is great. But what I've, um, what I've landed on, and which I think is going to be really beautiful, is we're going to animate a lot of his life story. We are working with a team of animators in Kolkata, aka Calcutta in India. Um, and so it's really been so much fun to be able to recreate that extremely interesting time period. Uh, Vivekananda was born in 1863 and he died in 1902, very young, before he was 40, he died. In fact, he always said throughout his life that he won't make it to see 40 and he died at 39. Uh, but that time in India, in Calcutta specifically, was really interesting because, of course, it was run by the British. And so you had the old and the new, the ancient and the modern, the East and the West, all living together. And that created a lot of tension in society. And it was a very, um, it was a very turbulent environment in a lot of ways that Swami Vivekananda grew up in, but also very beautiful. Um, and there was, a, you know, modern progress was happening in Calcutta, but it was pitted against these, some of these forces that, that were undercutting the legitimacy of, of, of traditional Indian spirituality and things of this nature. But the architecture was beautiful. And of course, the colors of India are beautiful. So to put those into animation is proving to be a lot of fun. So the life story of Vivekananda in, in um, animation, a lot of animation, and the legacy portion of the film, which is a lot about how his life influenced, as I've said, how his life influenced um, American society in the 20th century um, in several areas of, 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 of modern life from from art to literature to film um, and so on and so forth. So those things will be showed through a lot of archival imagery, which we will, um, which we're mining, we're mining the world for all kinds of different archival imagery and moving imagery and still photos that, that will be able to tell the story of some of these pinnacle moments in the 20th century that represent the coming together of the West and Eastern spirituality. So it's going to be, it's a long winded answer, but it's going to be a combination of this original animation, archival imagery, both uh, moving and stills, uh, interview footage from different experts. And I've been doing a lot of filming. I've, you know, I spend, uh, I've been back to India four or five times in the past six or seven years. And I, I like to shoot on this eight millimeter camera, which I think for this particular uh, film is going to be really beautiful because it gives that rich feel and that um, if you turn it black and white, it can feel like it was shot in, you know, in the early 1900s and so forth. So it'll be a smattering of different kinds of um, of mediums, including some beautiful VHS, believe it or not, VHS footage from the 80s in different temples around India that was given to me by a friend who, who was there at the time. So it's going to be... Um, uh, a variety of different formats um, coming together to paint this story. But what what really pin, what underpins this this film is the the narrative arc of Swami Vivekananda's life, which was 
very interesting life and a very yeah, very heroic life. Uh, almost, I mean, it almost perfectly follows the hero's journey, you know, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. So um, it's a lot of uh, fun to mine the story of his life for those moments, those those rich ups and and up the, the high highs and the low lows, which will allow, I hope, the viewer to experience some of what he experienced um, and uh, and come along for for the ride, you know? What's your production schedule? Like, when can people actually expect to see this? I know the documentary from experience, the documentary process can be pretty drawn out sometimes. Yeah, the documentary process can take quite a while. It, it, this The seed for this idea came, you know, six, seven years ago. Originally, it was going to be about Vivekananda's teacher, Ramakrishna, who I'm a devotee of. Um, but as I started to work on that, I understood that this is this particular story. It's such an American story. It's such a great immigrant story because Vivekananda came from India as a, you know, very little money and so forth. So there's, it, it, it lends itself naturally to, to be an American story. But to answer your question, I, the way that I answer that these days is about one year from when we have um, our funding completed. So I like to think of that to be uh, about a year from now is, is what I'm hoping. About a year from now is what I'm aiming at. And then uh, all, all in divine timing. But um you know, if you're listening to this now, please do put your feelers out for for some uh, some good energy to come our way, and we can get this film financed and and bring it to the world in about a year from now. We'll come back to the financing, and I'll let you give a little pitch where people can do that at the end. But you brought up Sri Ramakrishna in there, and that you're a devotee of him. And I always like, you know, I'm I'm a white guy, and I came to Hinduism and all this material. And I find it a very interesting subject matter to hear people's stories, people who weren't born into Hinduism. And I actually, I've never asked you if you identify as Hindu. And frankly, if you do or don't, it doesn't really matter. The teachings are the same. How did you come to all of this? How, how did you first learn about Sri Ramakrishna or however you came into the broader Indian slash Hindu spiritual tradition? Yeah, I, I am also, I'm a Western you know, I'm, I'm a Westerner. Um, so I don't have any ties to India. But in my teen years, I came across some Deepak Chopra books, I came across books like The Alchemist, and I came across The Celestine Prophecy and a few others. And that those kinds of esoteric books made me understand that there was more out there, um, which appealed to me as far as you know, I, I have a I have a a nature which questions and wants to know, you know, as as many of us do. Um, and then I discovered some early, you know, some some Buddhist texts, and so I started studying and researching and reading about Buddhism. And then that brought me into learning about different sects of Hinduism. And that word "sect" is also a loaded word, but different uh, manifestations of of divinity in the Hindu tradition. And then I went to India in my late twenties and, and, and to visit and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then, and I also was always a big fan of, you know, Western philosophy. I was just a, a, a thinker, you know, and then about 15 years ago or so, I was given a book, uh, called the great swan by Lex Hickson, a very readable, short, easy book, uh, which puts you, it's, it's about Sri Ramakrishna and it really, it's so intimate and it just puts you in the room, in the temple where he lived for 30 years. And you're just listening to conversations that he had with other people. And it's so gentle uh, and so beautifully written. 
And the power of his words, they just struck me immediately. And I was really pretty quickly won over by him um, and by the tradition itself. And when I say him, it's really not cult of personality here. This is he represents uh, um, something much deeper than just a, a personality. Um, and so once I once I read that book, I started to delve deeper into into Vedanta, into different um, iterations of his teachings and into the worship of the Divine Mother uh, and so on and so forth. And then I came to Swami Vivekananda through Ramakrishna. So Swami Vivekananda was Sri Ramakrishna's primary disciple, um, a very important disciple of his. And, and so that's how I came to Vivekananda. But yeah, the, the short answer to that question is I read uh, The Great Swan by Lex Hickson. And then later, of course, I read the, the, the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Also, I don't love the title. The word gospel has, is, is another loaded word. Um, you know, words, words can, can be roadblocks on the path sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's how I got into it. And, and, you know, it's the way I say it now is once I really got, once I met Sri Ramakrishna, um, all of my questions were pretty much answered. So I, I, there, there's tremendous difficulty and complication in this life, but I don't really have big questions. It's just, it's, it's just a matter of being able to do the things, you know, but he answered pretty much every, every question I could come up with. So. That's great. So we, we reached that portion of the program. If people want to donate, if they want to find out more, where can they do that? Oh, thank you. Well, um, our website is 1893yoty.com. And, you know, if you Google 1893, you're the yogi, you'll find, you'll find, you'll find a website. We are uh, covered. We are under a 501c3 called the Film Collaborative so that any donations can be a tax write-off. And yeah, I hope that we're going to complete our funding pretty soon. But if you're inclined, you can certainly reach out to me. Anybody can reach out to me if they want to know more. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book and um, it's a great project. It's, it's really a blessing for me to be doing this work. But the truth is, and, and, I, and I say this to a lot of people that I talk to, especially, especially Indians, is that I... And this is important. I'm telling their story. You know, I'm telling the story of Swami Vivekananda, but also of modern India in a lot of ways. And so what I've known for since the beginning of this project is that that has to be done in conjunction with Indians and Hindus. And so at every stage of the process, just like how I said earlier, the animators are from Calcutta. And, you know, I'm working with many, many swamis and, and different people from all sorts of traditions, but it's important that I work with Indians and Hindus. And so I'm asking for their support too. So anybody who feels inclined, um, uh, certainly can, can donate or reach out to me and we can talk about, um, other options for, for support. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and leave us a nice five-star review. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at hinduamerican.org slash donate. Thanks again for listening.
through this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and leave us a nice five-star review. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at hinduamerican.org slash donate. Thanks again for listening.